Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, which means I spent my Wednesday picking my jaw off up the floor and then covering one story after another in an absolutely wild, wild day, even for this franchise. Because most of all, I assume by now you know, that it appears that the that Dan and Tanya Snyder are open to selling the Washington Commanders. The 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 team issued a statement suggesting that uh, that everything is potentially on the table in terms of possibly selling the team. But the initial statement was kind of vague, and the subsequent statement said we're considering all options. Well, that was the quote. And all of that set everybody into a frenzy today, obviously, because we all understand um, what the, what has gone on here for the last 20-something years on the field, off the field, and how much for this, so much of this fan base has eroded over the time of the Snyder ownership. Um, definitely not at any finish line yet, but for the first time, in all the times that there's been this is the thing that's going to get him, or that's the thing that's going to get him, or they, or he's going to sell, or whatever. I never, I always told people, be cautious, tread lightly. This is the first time where I feel like there's something here. Um, I want to talk more about this, as well as just the day in general uh, out in Ashburn. We'll do that in a second. My guest today, I thought I had another great guest on, on the previous episode, Logan Paulson and then also Fred Smoot were both crushers uh, talking about all aspects of this team. Smoot on William Jackson primarily, Logan Paulson on the offense. And then here we go with Kirk Cousins coming to town. Nobody better than to have former Washington head coach Jay Gruden back with us after uh, missing last week, which was just a scheduling conflict. Jay and I spoke today at length before the Dan Snyder news happened. Uh, we talked at length about, uh, of course, about Kirk Cousins, uh, about what would have happened if he had stayed. Um, what would you know? What would that have meant for this team? And then, of course, we also just talked about what this offense is looking like with Taylor Heineke, his 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 footwork. Um, we got a lot, of, a lot of a lot of fun topics. We talked about Jay's coaching tree again because Kevin O'Connell is part of it, and people act like it's only Sean McVay. So um, there's all that a, a fun interview for sure. We'll get to all that in a second. Uh, I, there's a ton of articles up today on the Athletic about everything that went on here, and uh, you can go check that out. Subscribe to the Athletic, and of course, then you can also subscribe to this podcast wherever you do your podcasting. All right. Um, it's almost a surreal day. I'm sitting here right now. It's pretty late on Wednesday night. Uh, if some of you followed me on Twitter, I told, I said earlier, it's the one night I had some bit of a social life and was planning to go out and all of these things um, happen. And that's why the podcast, I couldn't get get it up quickly um, before I had to, before I had to head out. Um, it was a surreal day. I, I figured because by now everybody kind of, I'm sure knows some of the, 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 the details about, well, I basically already told you kind of the, the the deal there about Snyder. We'll have to see more about where things are going. But the day started, right? We're all going to the park on Wednesday. It's going to be the day where Chase Young is back at practice. As we know, Chase Young tore his ACL and did some damage to his patella tendon. 
in November of 2021. We are almost a full year since he has last played. And, you know, we have all, you know, we, we talk to him in a sense of like, he's a person around us, but on the record, we haven't talked to Chase Young. Well, not since the season started, obviously we talked to him over the summer. We haven't talked to him for a while now on the record. And now to, you know, we're going to get him today. That was going to happen. Plus, the Vikings are coming to town Sunday, which means Kirk Cousins uh, will be making his first appearance at FedEx Field since uh, he left in twenty seven after the twenty seventeen season. Not to mention it's a big game just to get a sense of where Washington is against a six and one Vikings team. Uh, oh, and then of course yesterday, William Jackson gets traded. Uh, you know the uh, you know that the end of a. Uh, a clear misstep by Rivera and the scouting department. That's just going into the day. <laughs> and so while I mean, most of us are driving to the park, I get a head, I get a, 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 a heads up from somebody. Hey, Forbes has an article out that says something about Dan Snyder has hired bank of America to sell the Washington commanders. And it almost reads like it's a, fake tweet because it does you know it it didn't even say or maybe it did i don't it didn't it didn't I, it was from like a, a source that was not typical you know not a not a Schefter, not a rap report or or not even you know you know one of the prominent publications i mean not the forbes isn't prominent but it's just not typically one you're you, you think of it in these terms anyway and you see this and you're like wait what and then you come to realize this is a thing and then i I'm not driving on the highway trying to figure out how to deal with this. Um, and, you know, checked in with, um, you know, the commanders and said a statement will be coming out shortly. And, you know, as I said, the statement comes out and it says that, you know, that basically, you know, they're, they're, you know, they, they're going to they're gonna look at, they're going to consider a lot of different financial scenarios here with this organization to try to help them win and, you know, whatever. And you're like, wait, are they selling some of the team or are they selling all the team or what's going on here. And it, it would make sense if they sold some of the team in that, you know, if Dan Snyder is going to struggle to find a jurisdiction that will partner with him for a new stadium, you know, one way to generate some money is to sell back or sell out some of the team that he bought. You know, he bought out all his minority partners. And if you could, you know, do that, it could get some cash flow. I mean, the question would be what person would be willing to take on a minority partnership sale or partnership with an owner like Snyder, who is so unpopular. But that aside, then came the statement that said, you know, again, we'll explore all opportunities. And so from that, it, we were off. Because this is obviously as big of news as you could have in this town. I was at an, uh, an event tonight in D.C. Uh, Brendan Shapiro, who is one of the hosts of the Surviving Snyder podcast, which is a lot of fun. He's a former Survivor contestant. I was at an event where a bunch of Survivor people were at, and Brendan spoke, and the Snyder topic came up, and Brendan was explaining to the audience that he's, you know, he's he's he, he's had a great, he's got a great life, wife, kids, he's been on Survivor, a bunch of other things, but that if Dan Snyder were to sell his team, that would be the one of the top ten greatest days of his life, and I don't, I think a lot of you probably feel some version of that out there which so needless to say this is a huge deal i, I you know I, I think any talk of like who would buy it is pure speculation we don't even know 100 percent if snyder will sell but just based on you know my thinking and, and talking to some other people 
it does feel like that we're heading in that direction. Um, we'll talk more about that plenty. Have no worry, you know, in, in the days to come here. So that happens. Now, of course, we still have to deal with practice. So we go down to the field. We see Chase Young out there. We're checking that out. Uh, didn't see Cole Holcomb. Didn't see Jahad and Dodson. Uh, did see Cole Turner. Uh, you know, so we'll, we'll have to dive more into that as the week goes on. But, you know, again, no Holcomb, no Dotson at practice today. So then we watch Chase Young do do some things. Then we have to go back inside. We go back inside and we're all trying to make sense of this. Oh, by the way, there's also this is a, from a sad perspective. Ron Rivera's mother, Dolores, uh, passed away on Monday. The team announced and uh, this will be our first time to talk to Ron Rivera since then. And obviously, you know, uh, you know, R- Rivera's a. Uh, I wouldn't say an open book, but, you know, he's he's willing to talk about these things. So we know we're going to talk about that. Um, and so this is happening. And, wh- and, and so while we're all waiting for the team to finish practice, and we're all, you know, working on these various Snyder stories, comes word that from the D.C. police that they're going to have a press conference at 3 o'clock to update everybody on the Brian Robinson case. Of course, uh, the rookie running back was shot twice uh, while uh, he was being assaulted, uh, a juvenile was arrested. You can go check out a uh, story up on The Athletic about that for more details on, on that. So that happens. And as I said, then, you know, practice ends. Ron Rivera comes out, talks to us. He doesn't get into the Snyder stuff much at all. But, you know, we get into some other components. He actually... There was a, a point where we were discussing William Jackson and what went wrong. And he basically said that it, it showed him that, you know, fit is sometimes more important than talent. I then asked him, does that apply to the quarterback situation here as well? Because that was the basis of the article I wrote overnight comparing the Jackson situation to the lessons. You know, what lessons do you learn from Jackson and how do they apply to Heineke, the fit versus Wentz, the talent? Um, in any event, so... Now we have these stories. Then Chase Young comes out. We talk to him for a little bit, and you know he seems to be in good spirits. Um, he, you know, t- trusting his knee is is going to be a part of this, uh, you know, rollout for him into into getting pra- into practice. You know, he did individual drills today. I don't believe he did much else. Um, as a reminder, by the way, now that he is activated, well, actually he's not activated. Now that he's cleared for practice. There's a 21-day window for Washington to put him back on the active roster. Uh, Rivera basically made it pretty clear Chase Young won't play this weekend against the Vikings. Uh, I'll be curious to see if he's ready for the Eagles. Uh, you know, until he's out there for real in like full practices three days in a row, I don't know where the if we're there, but you know, we'll see where we are next week. Um, so all that's happening, and then like so Taylor Heineke talks, and we you know, we, we talk to him about. You know, just, hey, you're, but, you know, nothing out of the ordinary that I recall on that. But obviously, I'm just saying we have to talk to the quarterback of the team again. We're spending time in the locker room. We talked to Terry McLaurin. Uh, I talked to Logan Thomas. We talked to Tress Way, who is the longest tenured player here. And, you know, the players, for the most part, just said collectively, as did Rivera, they're not focused on that or any of this noise. They're focused on the task at hand. And Logan Thomas said that to me, and I was like, come on, how do you possibly, you know, how, how can you just be that focused? And he kind of said with Snyder, he's like, you know, it's just another it's like another thing. I'm like, 
isn't that crazy to say it's like just another thing when we're talking about the owner selling? He's like, you know, you just get after a while, you just get used to the madness. And I thought that was a great quote. And uh, it was my story today. Anyway, then after all that, we're all writing our stories and all that comes an ESPN report that says the U.S. Attorney's Office in Virginia open is opening up an investigation into the organization over finances. I don't think this is sort of breaking news. I think this is a lot that was covered previously, but that, you know, it's just, it's taken to the step of opening an investigation. I don't necessarily have any be- belief that this has anything to do with why Snyder is, is possibly selling. Uh, I think it's just another component, but, you know, we'll, we'll see how it all unfolds. Anyway, that was the gist of the day. Um, and there was a lot of other you know, nooks and crannies that kind of took place, but it was an, an insane day. And obviously the headline is that the Snyders may be selling the Washington commander or something. I think a lot of us thought would be, you know, they wouldn't do that. You know, the, it, 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 it's, you know, nails, they get their nails dug in and you're going to have to pull them off uh, to, to, to do it. And I don't know, we, we may be heading in that direction. It'll be interesting to see why any of this is happening. I think one popular theory and that which i kind of buy is that you know during the green bay game tanya snyder was shown on the video board during a psa uh during for breast cancer awareness month she is a breast cancer survivor and when she was on the screen fans started to boo and then moments later after she was off the screen they, they started chanting sell the team sell the team and you know it's just I don't know that it just feels like it's I don't know how coincidental that is. It could be. I mean, look, there's hundred there's, there's all these investigations. Who knows where, where we're at or what's the tipping point if there truly is one. But that seems like an interesting note there on top of the Jim Ursay comments um, on top of these various reports that, that are looming. So. Yeah, it's just surreal that that this is even a uh, a, a topic and it just kind of came out of the blue to an extent. Not out of the blue, but you know what I mean. Like, it wasn't like we were talking about any of this happening anytime soon. We were more gearing up for more legal battles and waiting for the Mary Jo White investigation report and what Congress going to reveal and so on. And now Dan Snyder just may have cut the line uh, on his own to get there. But we'll see what happens in the coming days for sure. And of course, keep following this podcast for more on that and as well as read my work on The Athletic. We have a lot of people on The Athletic chipping in for this one from all different angles, so you can check out that there. Um, All right, let's get to my conversation with Jay Gruden. As I said, we spoke before before the, the Dan Snyder news broke, so none of that was in there. But a lot to discuss. We talked about Terry McLaurin, you know, his big day in Indianapolis. Of course, Jay Gruden was the head coach when Washington drafted McLaurin. Uh, we got into, as I said, to Kirk Cousins, to Taylor Heineke. How much does Jay value Heineke's uh, mobility and footwork, even if you're concerned about some of the other, uh, you know, li- uh, athletic or not athletic, but, you know, physical size limitations. So uh, great conversation, as always. Let's do that right now. Myself, Jay Gruden, here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right, he is back. No, he he was he was not benched last week. It was a scheduling issue on my end. His reason why only reason why Jay Gruden was not with us, but he's back now. Our start our uh, our our head coach here on the podcast. Uh, but he's in a different location. You just told me you drove 
from here all the way to Florida. Why I've done that drive. What why why would you do that? Well, we have a place down here and I needed a car. And I could have shipped it down, but I actually like the drive. I like the peaceful drive. Um, it's 10 hours straight down 95. Very peaceful, unless you have a passenger. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, it, I love ever... my wife and all that, but uh, driving 10 hours with your wife on the road when she's telling you to slow down and all that stuff and quit looking at your phone, you know, it's it's uh, it's, it's uh, pretty tough. <laughs> no, I. It, you're you're right a car ride it's like having a roommate at that point like i mean which obviously if you're your wife you have a roommate but like you have to know that you really can deal with this person because it's different than just like a regular car ride to the store 10 hours you're really getting to know this person like you're you, like everybody's letting out who what, what's going on and uh yeah that can be uh, that can be a lot what, what was there uh, by the way the south of the border i haven't done this drive in a while is that still a thing South border. South, I'm south in Jacksonville. No, but like that 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 stop on 95, the like at the North Carolina. Oh, oh, I didn't know. I didn't see it. I didn't stop there. We just tried to go straight through. We stopped at the one restaurant, and that was it. We were, we were rolling. Really? So, what time did you leave? Left about two o'clock. Got in about one. Wow. All right. Well, I mean, good good for you. Uh, that's all I can yeah. say. Better be, better you than me, and I'm glad. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you I, guys I, are... had, I had strict rules to make it better. I said, you get 30 words, no more than 30 words the entire ride. Okay. So she's had to be selective. Um, <laughs> I got to play my music and I gave her headphones. So that was good. Worked out perfect. But yeah, the, the music, who's in control of the music is also very key in these instances. The and driver, it's got to be the, the driver. Driver's always a, the driver's always in control. But, but by the way, I've known to people in my life who get into the car, no matter where you're going. And start messing with the radio, and immediately I discount that person. Like th- their Madden rating drops in my head. You don't mess with somebody else's radio and let's give them permission. No, no, certain things are off limits. Another person's refrigerator, another person's radio. That's it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, ab- absolutely. Um, well, appreciate the time as always. It's an interesting week, of course, because your former quarterback is coming back to town for the first time since he played with you, Kirk Cousins. Yeah. Not to mention. Uh, the head coach of the six and one Minnesota Vikings is your former offensive coordinator. Uh, so I want to get to all that, but we'll let's, let's go back to a little bit with it, with this team uh, in my, in my personal world, the game on Sunday seems like it was a year ago because we've already had the trade deadline and some other things, but what was your big takeaway from that game against the Colts? Do you look at it as a uh, sort of like a you know thrilling, great win that shows signs of progress or more like, eh, I don't know. It's kind of whatever, but at least they got the win. I think uh, anytime you win on the road against a team that's desperate for a win, like Indianapolis was as well, um, it's a it's a it's a great win. I, I don't care what anybody says. I know they're playing a quarterback for the first time, um, but you're in a hostile environment. You struggle early. Your defense keeps you in the game, and and Heineke makes some big time plays down the stretch to get a win, and you walk out of that locker room feeling really really good. And then obviously you got to clean some things up the next day and the following week and get ready for your next opponent, which is Minnesota. But uh, I, I consider that a great win. I think everybody should too, just because hard to win on the road. Um, the, it's always this weird bit, like when at the end of a game, when a team is trailing and they're playing a little more uptempo, a little more urgent, people always want to say, well, what, when it's successful, why didn't you do that earlier? Um, and mm-hmm. for Washington, it almost kind of felt like even Ron Rivera was saying that a little bit because their offense was pretty stagnant most of the game. But the last five minutes, they score. They have two really long scoring drives. Um, 
it, it was it was in fact only the second they were only the second time since 2000 in 122 attempts that Washington came back from two scores in the final inside the final five minutes to win. But the question is, that why is that? Why why is it that whatever the urgency teams have at the end of the game can't sometimes be translated earlier? Is that a, is that I don't know is that is that a thing that that should be discussed or or what 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 do you make uh, of that? You know, it's hard to make anything of that other than Taylor made some great plays uh, with his legs outside the pocket. He threw a couple balls uh, that weren't planned, um, made some big-time plays. I think early in games, you're trying to establish your identity, which is you want to be a physical football team and run the ball. When that doesn't work, you're stuck at some third and longs, and and then uh, and you get off the field pretty quick, or your quarterback has a couple of errant throws or what have you, and you just don't get in any rhythm. Uh, inside five minutes, when you're picking up the tempo a little bit, you're pretty much one-dimensional uh, with the occasional draw or screen, but uh, teams do play with their hats on, hair on fire a little bit more. Um, but at the end of the day, it's all about guys making plays. Didn't make many plays in the first three quarters, but they made some big-time plays in the final five minutes. How do you explain it? Uh, no idea. Just uh, pressure, you know, in pressure situations, some guys stepped up and those guys did. I mean, I guess, is it sort of like in real life? Like, I'm definitely a, a procrastinator, and I will wait on everything to the last minute, uh, filing my taxes, right, submitting my articles, whatever. Is that because, like, when like, days or hours in advance, I'm like, eh, I'll get there. Like, you kind of know you have time. And then once the time starts running, you're like, oh, crap, I, <laughs> I got to get moving. And then I, you know, the, the adrenaline sort of kicks in and you and you figure it out. Yeah, sometimes it's like that. And, and you know, like I said, the sense of urgency also. Sometimes in the first quarter, you're like, oh, we got plenty of time. We're, we're going to be okay. Um, but at the end of the day, like I said, that urgency should be there in four quarters. And it better be this week. Otherwise, the last five minutes will be mute because we'll be down 30 points. So they better come out with a better sense of urgency this week against Minnesota, against a more high-powered offense with a good quarterback and very good receivers and now a really good tight end and an excellent running back. Uh, so they better uh, come out a little bit faster. But, you know, sometimes as an offensive play caller, you put in some new plays for this week. It's Indianapolis's defense, some different looks you're going to try. They don't necessarily work. And then you get the last five minutes and you run things you've been running since training camp, your two-minute drill, plays that everybody knows and they play fast. There is some merit to that as well. I mean, that's an interesting point there as, as the play caller, because I would imagine that, tell me where I'm wrong here, that, you know, you're to to have that job. You've got to be a creative thinking person and a creative because you got to come up with all these. Okay, this the defense is running. You know, this scheme. Therefore, I want to run this. And it's not just enough to say, "Hey, Terry, go run a down and out," like they did when I like I told when I played quarterback in seventh grade flag football to to somebody. You got to go. Okay, no, do this. Go that. Go that. Like it's got to be. You want to be creative, and it's how your mind works. And it could probably get boring a little bit to just run the same things over and over again. But then when you, but if that's the case and you do vary, then maybe sometimes you get away from what's actually been working. Is that part of the uh, the challenge of the mindset of the, of the play caller? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I think what, what happens though in the last five minutes down two scores, it becomes more situational football and you're into your two minute tight package of plays, which you worked on since OTAs. And you have those set of plays that you get to really quick and the players know when they line up, it's, four verticals it's whatever it is a stick it's uh two out routes and a stick right on the inside whatever the plays might be uh they know how to execute those but still you have to block them you still have to protect uh and some of those plays didn't work but taylor did a great job escaping and finding guys in, in places they weren't supposed to be and that's part of the success as well uh the first three quarters 
you know, Indianapolis came to play too. They have a very good defense, excellent linebacker, uh, some pretty good corners. Uh, it's not going to be easy. You know, sometimes you call a play action shot, hoping that uh, you're going to get a certain coverage and they roll and play cover two and you have to hit the check down for a game of two and you're second and eight. Um, so there's a lot of variables, variables involved in pro football. Some two minute drill teams stink. Some teams thrive on it. Um, and obviously Washington thrived on it last week. Uh, I sent you a, a couple of uh, clips that I put up on Twitter about Taylor Heineke's uh, footwork in the final drive, I believe. Um, I think I called it a Taylor Heineke uh, footwork or ingenuity appreciation thread uh, because you're just watching him take the snap. and we, we, we get it. He's not the biggest guy, doesn't have the big, big arm, all that. But his ability in the pocket to just extend the play, to, to keep his feet moving while looking down the field and then making those plays the fourth and one throw to to Curtis Samuel when there didn't seem to be much out there um he scrambles himself for like a nine yard gain and then of course the last pl- the the big play in the end to Terry McLaurin downfield where kind of a broken play both of the players said that they at one point caught eyes and that's when Terry knew to to run uh, deep downfield and throw it. Um, wh- what do you make of that footwork? It's clearly not something I wouldn't think that a coach can teach a player. You either have the skill that Taylor has or not. W- w- when you watch that, what does that what does that mean to you? Well, you know, I think he reminds me. Uh, you know, I talked to my brother just the other day. He reminds us of Jeff Garcia in the pocket. You know, he's not a very big guy, um, but he does have good vision down the field still. And he does escape pressure extremely well with the ability to keep his eyes downfield. Some people can escape pressure, all right, but they lose sight of the receivers downfield and they get tunnel vision as far as one side of the field or one player. And then they either throw it out of bounds or or slide for a gain of two. Taylor does a great job of escaping pressure and keeping the whole field uh, in his vision. Um, Now, he's not as accurate or not as productive as Jeff Garcia, but he has those similar traits as far as getting out of field. And he does a good job of when he hits his back foot ready to throw, he does stand tall. He has to stand tall because he's not very big. And if he does have trouble seeing, he'll move slightly to the left, slightly to the right. And if there is pressure, he does an excellent job of of finding little lanes and slide and getting the heck out of the way. Uh, that's a trait that you really can't coach. Now, the one thing you can coach is ball security. And he does. He did a much better job this week with two hands on the ball and protecting the ball, escaping and keeping his eyes down the field. Um. You mentioned Jeff Garcia. That's that's an interesting one for sure. People have discussed, and you, as you said, Taylor maybe isn't as productive as Garcia, who became a you know kind of went from nowhere to becoming a pretty good quarterback for the 49ers. Ultimately, the question for Washington is, unless one thinks they're a contender right now, is what do they do at quarterback? And there's been this talk of recent weeks around the league about how teams are maybe starting to gravitate more towards these mobile quarterbacks like in Heineke, like a Sam Ellinger, not because it's ideal, but because it's what's available. And it, it's better to have a guy like that versus a statue in the pocket who's got the bigger arm, perhaps like a Wentz, but it's more of a sitting duck against these great pass rushes and things and things like that. How, how do you can, – can, do we have any different feel for Heineke in terms of could he be a starter in today's NFL versus what he's been viewed as, as a backup who you can use when needed? Well, to me, he should be viewed as a starter. He won a lot of games last year. Uh, he's uh, won a lot of games this year already, and he's done some good things. Now, you're always going to probably want better. You want a bigger guy with a stronger arm, uh, maybe more mobility, but good luck finding that guy. Uh, you know, they're, they're not many out there. And cor- teams are erring on the side of 
mobile quarterbacks, the statuesque type quarterbacks, they better be elite passers. I mean, elite passers, Matthew Stafford, Tom Brady. And you look at those two guys and they're struggling a little bit because of the offensive line issues and they can't get out of the way. Uh, so Tampa Bay and, and LA Rams, they might be more less prone to call some of the, the good core drop back passes because they're afraid they can't protect it. So they have to get rid of the ball quick and do some different things to attack defenses. Whereas the mobile quarterback, he may be a little less talented passing, but those ability, those times where you can scramble for five and 10 yards like Taylor did and, and find another guy when it wasn't scripted, those are huge plays. It takes a lot of pressure off the coordinator to be, oh, my God, I got to call the perfect play against the perfect coverage. I got to have a zone beater. I have a man beater. I got to can it. We got to call two plays in the huddle. It becomes a grind. And, and instead of just, hey, let's call uh, 82X Hank, boom, we're gone. And they play quarters coverage. Everything's taken away. The quarterback scrambles around, and there goes Terry McLaurin down the dang uh, left sideline for a gain of 50. Those plays, you know, you got to have in pro football nowadays, and you don't get those all the time with the less mobile quarterbacks. What, what was that play, 82X Hank? Yeah, it was just curls. Terry ran like a curl or a dig, and then once he caught eyes, he just took off and ran a go ball. I don't know what the actual play they called. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I was just, I, crazy. I, I'm fascinated by the names of the plays. I I, I mean, just like the, the, and my, my favorite part is, not is when the, the the people who like to break down the tape and act like they're film analysts and then they just use all the different terms like it's normal English. I'm just like, what are you talking about? So it's, it's always funny to me to hear the uh, play calls. Did I ask you this before? What's the what was what's the name of the favorite? What's your favorite name you've ever called a play? Oh, my God. I shoot. I've called a lot of. Well, I, I had Andy Dalton one year and or three years and Andy Dalton never cussed. So I called a. A screen pass. I call it "oh shit" screen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was my favorite one, just to mess with him a little bit. He's a great kid. Uh, but I got we got a lot of good names: Z Jerk, X Jerk. We got uh, you know Sluggos. We got Sluggo Seam, Cannon. We got all kinds of cool words. That's that, that's hilarious that you did you you, you did that. Um, I, I love that. Um, speaking of Terry, let me just add just a quick th- thought on him. Obviously, one of the guys who's left here from your era and uh you know it's, it's i think we're all running out of ways to praise him and you know you think okay he's going home it's gonna be the celebration in and of itself and then he makes the biggest play of the game you know wrestling that that 50 50 jump ball away from stefan gilmore to set up the winning touchdown and um you know as, as you've watched him now this year and over the years did, did, i mean did you ever think obviously you guys drafted him and you liked him pretty quickly but did you ever contemplate he would be what he's what he's turned into well that's definitely the hope you know there's a lot of receivers uh in that draft we got him the third round fortunately we lost our second round pick i think we would have taken him the second had we not lost it i think we traded uh to get montez sweat i don't think we had a second round pick that year could be mistaken but he was available yeah, third he round he's top receivers he was our top receiver on the board and then uh you know after watching the senior bowl i've said this many times we thought he was the best player on the field uh, you know i kill you loved him a lot uh i loved him a lot and uh Fortunately, he was there because we needed some speed and some power and some leadership uh, qualities uh, that really help your entire team, not just on the field, but off the field as well. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. It's amazing. I interviewed his high school, his junior year high school quarterback uh, before this game, just to sort of a look back and the things that he was saying about Terry, about who he is as a player and more importantly, as a person are the exact same things I've heard over the years since he's been here. So he's clearly um you know it just impresses everybody throughout the years i I never seen him talk trash though like when he caught that ball did he say this is my city he he did yes 
Yeah, that was sweet. That was that gave me chills. I was fired up for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, that was it was great. It's always fun to see the more quiet reserve person have that moment of you know, I'm look out. Here I come. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you what I think. Uh absolutely. Um well let me get to one of the other former players. Uh Kirk Cousins. You've heard of him. Uh the yeah. Vikings are coming here this weekend. They're six and one, they're rolling. Um, it's, it is incredible to me that like it is the first time that Cousins will be back here since he uh, played with you in 20 the last year in 2017. Um, I don't even know where to begin almost, but can you like sort of remember, you know, you get the job. He's already here. Do you kind of remember your first impression of him uh, as a player uh, or as this the guy even at, at, at that time? Well, yeah, I, I had a positive impression on him before I got the job because I did like him at Michigan State. So that was my only uh, – and then uh, the games, the, the little bit of games that he did play, his rookie year, he played pretty good against Cleveland. He came in against Baltimore, played pretty good. The second year was kind of uh, – he kind of felt like the whole team was kind of on a downward spiral. He had some injuries and the, no success. And I think everybody felt like the coaching staff was going to get let go. And that kind of rubs off on a lot of people uh, in a negative way. Um, I kind of went through that my last – five games here so uh but once we got here and i got to see him in person throw the ball uh you could just see the accuracy that he had the anticipation that he had that he was an effortless thrower as far as being able to get the ball put it where he wanted to put it um so trying to get those guys ready trying to get robert ready uh we got colt mccoy kind of have a three-way battle there uh, we weren't really quite sure but i think what turned the corner for kirk was when we announced him as a starter and we weren't going to pull him you know, when you when you have these three-way competitions or two-way competitions, you go in there as a game, your confidence is not where it needs to be because you're afraid if you throw a bad pass or an interception, you're going to get yanked on the next series. Uh, once you know that, hey, the coach has got your back, you're in here. If you throw an interception or not, if we get shut out or not, we're going to stick with you and build this team around you and build our offense around you. I think that's when he took the next step to becoming uh, what he is now. Yeah, I mean, if the first year you have him, he plays, he plays uh, six games because obviously RG3 was still a thing. And then at the next year during uh, preseason is when you made the switch uh, to go to him. Is that, I mean, obviously the RG3 Cousins thing is there's a lot to it, as we know, and both of them were at a high level. I mean, RG3 was the second pick and Cousins was a, a fourth round pick. But it was, was, it, was there any comparison to the situation we're talking about now with Wentz and Heineke? Only in the sense of... Uh, one guy was the mobile quarterback and then one guy was more in the pocket, but it was the game was, but I guess cousins level of efficiency trumped whatever RG three was, was at athletically at that point. Cause he was a bit diminished because of the injuries. Uh, a little bit, but we just felt like with the team that we had, uh, we needed a better, uh, a more accurate passing quarterback, nothing against RG three. He was trying to build his game into that. He just wasn't there yet. He was a very athletic quarterback had an incredibly productive rookie year but he wasn't quite as honed in in a passing game and going through progressions and making your check downs or, or what have you, or as accurate uh, and have the anticipation that Kirk did. And we had Pierre, we had Deshaun, we had, we had some pretty good Jordan Reed. We had some good receivers that needed to be utilized in that fashion. You know, we weren't really going to run zone reads all day. We wanted to get those players out in space and, and get the ball to them, uh, throwing the football and then obviously use our running game and the bootleg game, which Kirk is very, very good at the bootleg game. Um, but, uh, you mentioned before sort of the idea of like in terms of like a behind key, like having a quarterback that can be that sort of electric with his footwork, but then also has the size and arm strength and everything you want. There's not many guys who can do all that. There's Mahomes, there's Josh Allen, and the list may kind of end around there. 
Cousins. Why do you think teams are number one and number two in the league? And then Jalen Hurts is starting to prove he can pass the ball pretty damn well as well. And they're right there with them. And Dak Prescott also, he's a mobile guy too. That's the top four teams, in my opinion, in the league. And all four of those guys have quarterbacks that can move and can move extremely well. Right. And, and so that kind of brings it to, to, to Cousins because he's been a good quarterback in his career. If we weren't playing a sport in which the quarterback was so heavily, uh, had, had so much, it was so heavily weighted towards that that position, he may be viewed differently if he was just more of a, piece of the pie but since the quarterback has is, is so much is on him and for whatever the reason his teams have not advanced beyond a certain point in the season or in the playoffs that he gets viewed often in sort of maybe not negatively but just ugh. <laughs> Kirk Cousins he's only going to get you so far and that's viewed in a, in a bad way we'll see where the Vikings go from 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 here but like do you, do we do people do we not appreciate I guess what he is because everybody views what he isn't? Yeah, I think that's the case, and I think there's been some issues with him in big games where he hadn't really played his best football, which isn't always on him. But uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think a lot of teams view do you pay Kirk Cousins the the same amount of money as you pay a guy like Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes? Is he in that category? Maybe not. However, if you don't have Kirk Cousins, where do you go? You look at all these other teams in the bottom half of the league, they're all looking for quarterbacks. And I guarantee they would all love to have Kirk Cousins on their team right now because Kirk is good enough to take you where you want to go. He throws the ball extremely well. He's very intelligent. Uh, He doesn't make many mistakes anymore. His rookie year, he might've made a few, but uh, he's a great quarterback to have on your team. Would you rather have Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes? Sure. But if you can't have those guys, those guys aren't going to be on a trading blocks anytime soon. You better have a guy that can uh, move the football down the field and, and deliver the ball accurately. And Kirk does that for you. I mean, I, I always love the sliding doors concept. You know, what if, you know, it, the, the what if stuff, which I'm sure drives coaches crazy. But, you know, what if this happens versus what if this happens? The Kirk Cousins situation seems like the ultimate one for this Washington franchise in recent years because, on the one hand, People were seemingly – it never felt like the fan base completely embraced Cousins. I think largely because he wasn't RG3. You know, people were just, just desperate for that to work, and obviously it didn't. Um, but because also Cousins maybe didn't come up as big in big games, you know, I, I you, you see with the Vikings fans now, like they clearly get frustrated. He gets paid a lot of money, but they only go to a certain point. On the other hand, so I imagine if he had stayed here, and, and things progress the same way. People be like, oh, they got to get a new quarterback. They got to do something different. This isn't working. On the other hand, well, look what's happened since. He leaves. Unfortunately, Alex Smith gets hurt. But it's been a, you know, a never-ending yeah. barrage of random quarterbacks ever since. And I would imagine people would be like, oh, if only we could have stayed with that guy. I To me, that's such a fascinating what if. Would, would people have appreciated Cousins oh. but, because they, but they wouldn't have known what was going to happen if he had left? Yeah, the reason you want to keep a guy like Kirk is because he's been durable, uh, he's had success, and he's young. You know, sure, we got Alex Smith, and he was going to be fine for us. We were 6-3 and three until he broke his leg. I think we still would have had a good year, and he'd still probably be playing if had that not happened. Um, but uh, how long was he going to play? You know, he's already in his late 30s, and uh, you would have been searching for a quarterback anyway, whereas if you take care of Kirk – you got him for the next 10, 15 years. And and that's a hell of a luxury to have when you have that guy behind center uh, year after year after year who spits out plays effortlessly, who uh, knows where to go to ball, what plays he likes, what plays he doesn't like. You have a great communication uh, system with him, a great rapport as far as uh, what plays are going in this week. Is it too many? Is it not enough? I mean, 
uh, it's just a dynamic that successful teams have uh, and unsuccessful teams don't have. And you got to have the quarterback. Do you, uh, you know, look, you, you get interviewed a lot by people like me you have throughout the years. And even when you were still the coach, you, you were asked tons about the Kirk Cousins situation. When are you going to sign him? Why aren't you guys signing him? Why didn't you sign him? All that stuff. I've been asking people this week, what happens if he stays? Did you ever in your head, like to to some degree, okay, here's the actual plan of what we would have done if we could have actually kept him. We would have done this. We would have done that. Or just how you think it would have played out. And even for you, even how, what do you think happens if he actually stays here? Well, I think, I don't know. It's hard to say. It's hard to predict that. But, uh, you know, obviously the quarterback carousel that we went through after Alex got hurt was a nightmare. You know, you go, <laughs> you go from Colt to, to Mark Sanchez, to Josh Johnson, to Case Keenum, to, to Haskins, to, to who else? I can't even remember. Uh, to a lot of them. Um, and that's a situation, that's a no win situation for anybody. Consistency of quarterback, if you have that, you much you have a much better chance to win and stick around as a head coach. You look at the tenures of the long standing head coaches, Mike Tomlin with Ben Roethlisberger, Sean Payton with Drew Brees, uh, obviously Bill Belichick with Tom Brady. Um, there's a reason why they're coaches there for that long. They're great coaches, I get it, but to have that quarterback with them for a long period of time makes an incredible difference. Um, Again, I'm sure you've been asked this a hundred times. At what point did you know he wasn't going to stay? Like, was it just at the end when the, the you, you found out that the, the trade for Alex Smith happened? I'm assuming probably not. Or was it like three years earlier where he was like, ah, Kirk just ultimately just wants out of here, but we're going to keep tagging him and delaying it? I did feel like there was an element of Kirk not wanting to be here because there is a sense of he always felt like he was a number two guy. He was a number two draft guy, quarterback, the team, the team the ownership, everybody liked Robert a lot better than him. He kind of felt slight in that regard. He never got a chance to really compete. Uh, um, there's a lot of things that I think that just bothered him. I think some things that were said to his agent about him not being a special quarterback possibly had a lot to do with it. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe me taking him out and putting Colt McCoy in one time, uh, maybe that bothered him. Uh, there were some things I think that bothered him in the back of his mind that I didn't think he was going to sign. Um, otherwise, I think we would have got the deal done. I think there was a little bit of maybe the offer wasn't good enough and maybe Kirk just wanted a new surroundings, new setting, get the heck out of Washington, D.C., get away from the Redskins. Um, who knows? Uh, ultimately, he made a great choice for himself. He's on a great team. It's a great franchise, and he's having some success, and it's fun to watch him play. And I assume he pays for dinner when you guys go – if you guys go out. Yeah, he better. <laughs> uh, who, wait, who, uh, who said something to his agent about him not being a special quarterback? I just, I don't know. I just, that's just, it's a rumor that I hear through the grapevine. I don't know. I just, you know, just, uh, you know, just a rumor. One, Got it. I don't realize. <laughs> well, and, and, and just laugh. Hard. Say, say that again. It's not hard to figure that one out. It's one of three <laughs> people figured out. Um, well, and to that end, and, and, and I promise we'll get, I'll get off of this and we'll go to O'Connell, but, um, I always thought that like, you know, Dan Snyder drafted RG three or he kind of pushed for it and look, it, it worked out great at the beginning and not just on the field, off the field for but sure. Then, but then when it didn't work, it always felt like when we say like people didn't like appreciate Kirk, it always felt like it started from there. You think that like, was that a real thing or was that just our perception from the outside that the owner was always like, Ugh, I really want RG three to work. Not this other guy. I think everybody did. You know, he had a great rookie year. He was very electric his first year. I mean, he's rookie of the year. He went nine and seven. And, you know, it was a, it was a 
it was a heck of a feat for a young player to do what he did as a rookie. You can't take that away from him. It was incredible, actually. Um, and then he got injured a couple times and, um, you know, tried to become more of a drop back passer. And, and it just was he wasn't quite ready for that role yet. You know, what I mean, he needed time for that role and uh, uh, didn't have a lot of time. Coaches don't have a lot of time. So we we ended up going with Kirk and um, had some success and, and ended up losing them. But. You know, it, it was a tough situation for both kids. They're both hardworking guys, good people. Um, but, you know, ultimately we had to make a decision as staff. We want to Kirk. Uh, let me ask you about O'Connell, who was your offensive coordinator um, in the end there. I remember when you and I talked about Sean McVay at some point, uh, you, you, you were talking about, I think you were being serious, which is, I think, fair that, hey, he's part of the Gruden coaching tree. This is the, the Shanahan thing. You know, no, no. I, I, we, we had McVeigh. He's a, he, he's my guy. You know, Kevin yeah. O'Connell. Now it feels like Kevin O'Connell. People are just like, oh, Kevin O'Connell's on the, from the McVeigh tree. You know, and it's like, well, wait, he was he was here first yeah. with you. It's the bull crap right there. You're right about that. I don't get any credit for any of these coaches, man. I mean, my, it's 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 terrible. I we hired Sean long before the Shanahan's even knew the kid. Uh, so, uh, but anyway, they're he learned a lot from the Shanahan's. There's no question about it. There's a lot of things that he's done uh, that emulate what Shanahan's do. Uh, there's a lot of things he's done that we have done in the past together too. So he's a guy that has learned from both staffs and then taken other things from other things that he's seen on television and, and on tape and made it into his own. That's what great coaches do. They don't just steal. They don't just, they're not just a, a, a reflection of the coach they work for. They branch off and they become themselves. And I think that's what Kevin's doing. That's what Sean did. And that's what all successful coaches have to do. You can't just be the guy you work for. You have to be yourself. And that's – you hear about other head coaches that are struggling. They try to be exactly like the head coach they work for, and they're not them. They're just not them. They have to be themselves and, and create their own identity, which is what I think what's make Sean special, what's going to make Kevin special. What stood out to you about O'Connell? I mean, obviously, you know, for you as an offensive guy to give any sort of power, control, input, to another yeah. person has got to, the guy's got to be somebody you buy into. What, what, what did you like about Kevin O'Connell that, that, that had you putting him in that spot? When I first hired him, I liked the fact he came from different systems. He worked with Chip Kelly, uh, which is entirely different than what we stuff that we did. We implemented some plays uh, from that system. Uh, he did a little bit with new England. He played with new England. So we had some Patriot knowledge um, to have a guy with different plays and, and different ideas was critical. I just didn't want to hire another West coast guy that, you know, as a, as a branch off archery, I want to, I want to take another branch. So he came in here. He's very smart, very loyal and a no nonsense guy. And he worked extremely hard and those qualities in a coach, if you have those four qualities, you'll be successful. You know, loyalty goes a long way. Intelligence goes in a great long way. Uh, and work ethic is very important. And obviously your rapport with the players is very important. He had all four of those qualities. You knew it wouldn't be long before he got an opportunity to be his, own coordinator, call his own stuff, and eventually be a head coach. Um, so he's now your former coordinator, is now with your former quarterback. Uh, one of the uh, points that was made with Minnesota for some time was, you know, you had a defensive-minded head coach at the top, and maybe that did, obviously, I think Zimmer and Cousins clearly had some issues, but having more of an offensive guy in there with O'Connell perhaps would would change things around for, for this team. And again, they're off to a really good start. What are you seeing, if anything, with that offense now with O'Connell running the show that's perhaps different than what you saw before? I think uh, when you have an offensive-minded head coach, 
quarterback like Kirk, it's important. Um, you might be a little more aggressive, whereas I know Coach Zimmer uh, might have been more prone, hey, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. You know, it worked. And, and they're doing a good job running the ball still with Dalvin Cook. I think that's what people forget. You know, Kirk's doing a good job throwing the ball to Justin and Adam. But Dalvin Cook is also a major threat out of the backfield. Uh, but sometimes coordinators calling plays get a little nervous when they're calling for a defensive-minded head coach. Three and out, guys, you know, run a line, you know what I mean? Whereas if you're offensive-minded head coach and you go three, you know, it, it's okay. We can take more shots. We can do things that we want to do as opposed to what we think the head coach wants us to do. It makes a big difference for the quarterback and for the play caller. So now, obviously, you watch, you know, commanders uh, all, all the time, and, and no doubt you're catching the Vikings as well. You mentioned before, if Washington gets off to a slow start here, they're going to be in big trouble. What do you think is that, you know, if you're planning this game out from the Washington perspective, what are the, like the one or two things that you think you've got to do against this Vikings team to have a shot? 94-93. Got to play like the plan. That, that's that's it. Simple. Because they will they will uh, slow down Dalvin Cook. They'll let the linebackers run free. And then they will push the pocket and make Kirk uncomfortable in the pocket. That's the most important thing. And they have to figure out ways to stop the play action, deep shots down the field um, occasionally. So they might have to play some more cover twos, some more – uh, safer type coverage uh, to uh, protect those big plays on early downs. And that means Dalvin Cook, they're going to have to play uh, light boxes and be able to stop Dalvin Cook in the running game, which is easier said than done. But with those two defensive linemen and, and the edge players that they have, I think they have a good chance to do it. That's on um, defense offensively. Um, I think if Minnesota does have a weakness, I don't think their defense is that good. Uh, Vic Fangio's system is there. Ed Donatel's a defensive coordinator. Uh, they do are very sound in what they do, but uh, I think there's some ways to attack them in both the running game and the passing game with the skill that Washington has. Is there a player for Washington beyond Terry McLaurin that you would think could be a a, a guy that you would feature, or, or even if there's a position you would feature against that defense? Yeah, I think uh, I, I really like the way Gibbs has been playing. I think you can utilize him against their linebackers, uh, Hicks and Hendricks, uh, Kendricks. I believe they're starting still. Uh, I think you get a matched up on those guys uh, out in space, and I think it could be a good day for him uh, out of the backfield. Well, Jay, look, it's always a pleasure to chat, especially, you know, I, and I appreciate that you're doing this, having just driven, you know, as long as you have. That is, uh, you know, when we talk about a, a guy like you with a long, long, long drives, it's like 82 yards, not three, two, uh, 1,500 miles or whatever it is. That that that's, a, that's the wrong kind of long drive, but – Glad you made it. Enjoy Florida, and uh, we'll see what happens this weekend. You got it. Thanks, man. Later.